1: Adware, in general, it, its purpose is to serve ads to the target, and in general it will you know persist on disk, it'll start up in some, some known way, usually by an auto-run.
0: That's Jay Novak. He's a threat hunter and tech lead at Booz Allen Hamilton's Dark Labs Advanced Threat Hunt team. The research he's discussing today is called Advanced Persistent Adware – Analysis of Nation-State-Level Tactics.
1: It's generally considered pretty unsophisticated. You know, when you think about the profit margin that, you know, an adware provider is going to get, you know, they're not going to be generating uh, a ton of revenue unless it's a very widespread operation. And if it's a company that is creating this, this piece of adware or some organization that's creating this piece of adware, they're not going to spend a lot of time developing it or utilizing you know sophisticated techniques to help it hide. So it's usually pretty easy to detect. Uh, pretty easy to find and relatively unsophisticated.
0: And, and so the purpose of run of the mill adware is to inject an ad in a, I guess, a surreptitious way and uh, unintentionally onto your system uh, uh, in a, sort of a sneaky way, and that's why it's considered malware?
1: Yeah, that's right. So your sort of run-of-the-mill adware will um, be an executable that's on disk. And when it starts in its simplest form, it will just launch Internet Explorer and send Internet Explorer to some known page that will serve an ad to the user.
0: So what you all discovered here is a bit more sophisticated than that. Take us through what you found.
1: Yeah, so on the Advanced Threat Hunt team, we've created uh, a set of sort of you know technology Analytics and processes around um, a hypothesis driven approach to threat hunting. Um, and when we were looking at a particular network utilizing this process, we were going through a particular analytic that helps us find um, WScript use on, uh, on Windows systems. Hmm. One of our analysts saw a, uh, a WScript executing uh, a piece of JavaScript code that on the command line had a bunch of obfuscated base 64 encoded arguments and um, these arguments pointed towards a further obfuscated uh, encrypted blob on disk or or semi-encrypted blob on disk and so um, essentially what he had found was a javascript program that had multiple arguments being passed into it that then was making a call out to the internet and Um, sort of your level of suspicion kind of alarm bells go off at this point. And we decided, you know, this is worth a further look, right? We didn't really know it was adware at the time, but it was definitely worth diving into. What we discovered from there through reverse engineering the JavaScript and by doing a little bit of digging in terms of how this thing was persisted, um, we sort of found two things. We we found that the program that this malware was utilizing um, a technique that we generally only see in in very sophisticated campaigns. The only thing that's persisted uh, to disk itself is something that's very lightweight, um, very you know mutable, so that signatures like uh you know your your normal IOCs don't necessarily. Uh, work because it can be changed so easily, and it's also lightweight and easy to develop and easy to change. So, if some heuristic-based signature is developed for the thing that that is on disk, uh, you know that can be changed really easily by the actor. So, this this is um, kind of a level of sophistication in terms of its uh, you know operational security and protecting itself as a tool that a that an attacker could use. Definitely pointed us towards thinking that this was. Something that was maybe a little bit different than your normal, you know, run-of-the-mill sort of adware or commodity malware.
0: Yeah, walk us through how this works. Take us through it step by step. What did you discover?
1: The first thing that we discovered, again, was this, uh, was this JavaScript and then after um, we discovered the javascript we went back and looked at a different analytic that we run on all of our endpoints that we're trying to hunt in and that analytic looks for kind of known persistence mechanisms and we discovered a correlation between a scheduled task uh, that was actually running the w script and then the w script um, you know kicking off this this javascript job we actually didn't have access to go back to this particular endpoint um, and watch what was happening sort of dynamically in real time. So that's why we had to hand off the JavaScript to um, our malware reverse engineers. They took a look at the JavaScript and noticed immediately this uh, this callout uh, domain. Also after deobfuscating pieces of the JavaScript, realized that what it was doing was calling out to this domain downloading an extra little bit of JavaScript that was encrypted using an algorithm that we haven't been able to to crack yet, but downloading a second piece of JavaScript and then allowing that to run only in memory. That callout domain was something that then we used to um, look in various other environments that we're currently hunting in. By using that domain, we were actually able to find, um, you know, multiple instances of this, not only in the first place where we found it, but um, across a couple of other networks as well. From there, we did a lot of um, pivoting analysis, you know, sort of outside of the wire, so to speak, where um, we took that domain and looked at various enrichment sources. By sort of pivoting off of that domain, we found other domains that were related and those other domains pointed to older versions of this malware that then um, we discovered was part of this overall adware campaign.
0: So, what is your sense of of, of what uh, what the motivation is here? Do Do you have a, a feeling that um, they're targeting particular people?
1: No, this this doesn't seem to be particularly targeted. I think that that's one of the things that was kind of interesting to us. Commodity malware, and, and, and we sometimes fall into this trap too, but commodity malware, you know, adware, crimeware, um, you know, certain variants of crimeware, some of these things tend to get ignored um, during SOC operations because they're not targeted. But I, I think for us, one of the reasons why we wanted to make sure to put out this blog post is because it's it's not just evidence of adware using advanced persistent, you know, um, techniques, but it's evidence of, of sort of a, a larger story that, you know, adversaries from adware developers all the way up to APTs, cyber criminals and everything in between, they're starting to use these techniques that we generally thought were, were only for a small piece of the adversaries out there. And since they're being used by more people, that means that organizations really have to take a hard look at how they're going to detect that type of behavior. And for us, it's taking a a proactive approach to hunting to really go out there, find those unknown unknowns, bring them to light, and then create this iterative process around creating new analytics and, and really kind of keeping up with those adversaries and changing the way that that arms race happens between, you know, us as defenders and them as attackers.
0: What kind of information was this looking for specifically? Do you have a sense on that?
1: This particular adware, the final stage executable that's downloaded and run, it appears to mostly be for the purpose of serving adware, Mm. but not to be over speculative here, but the adware itself is something that's persisted on disk and does have the ability to execute arbitrary code. Um, So we don't have any evidence that anything more, uh, you know, nefarious was going on here. But it's certainly not something that organizations should ignore um, just based on the fact that it could be running other, uh, other executables.
0: So it could be as simple as serving up adware, but it's possible that it's in a sense a misdirection that could later do other things.
1: Yeah, a misdirection, or um, you know, there's been there's been evidence in the past of um, sort of this you know malvertising campaigns where even companies that think that you know they're doing something you know relatively benign, and by companies I can I mean these you know these organizations that are doing um, that are serving adware, they're doing something that's you know relatively benign, but really there's some other entity that is utilizing this to um, to do a more targeted attack.
0: Take me through the process of hypothesis-driven, behavioral-based analytics. That's something that you all used here. Um, Shed some light on that. How does that work?
1: What we're attempting to do is use um, our ideas about how adversaries operate. So we have a lot of people on the team come from sort of a a red team pen, pen testing background. Uh, and some people on the team come from the malware reverse engineering, and some people on our team come from sort of a, a cyber threat intelligence background. And so we we try to you know put on our different hats as we go through and come up with what we call hunt analytics. And we we put these hunt analytics in our hunt analytics library, and we try to take each one of them. Uh, which we treat as sort of a hypothesis about how an adversary might act in a particular network. And um, out of each one of these analytics, what happens is we develop haystacks. And in these haystacks, Uh, we can add all of our enrichment information, such as domain registration information or information from a third party like VirusTotal or RiskIQ. And all of that enrichment data comes together to help us quickly triage each haystack. A a haystack might have 10 things that we have to triage and another haystack might have a a thousand things that need to be triaged. And and so we try to bring in as much information as possible. And all of this really um, sort of starts with to the point about behavioral analysis, it all starts with getting data from uh, these organizations that we're trying to protect. And so that data can be network data that's generated by network sensors. Um, but really, we find uh, a lot of really, really good information when we start querying endpoint detection and response tools to get the, both the telemetry and the forensic style data directly from the endpoints for our haystacking.
0: So this isn't the sort of thing that uh, a standard antivirus tool would be likely to detect.
1: So in this particular case for the for the advanced persistent adware, an AV could absolutely write a signature to detect this javascript blob that's on disk and they could write a signature that, you know, maybe even triggers off of something as easy as the md5 of that blob, maybe it triggers off the fact that it's obfuscated javascript there's there's certainly things that they could do the problem is that the nature of this particular you know persistence mechanism of the way that is the stage two is being delivered is it so changeable that an attacker could have a library of AVs installed on a computer somewhere, and as soon as you know their JavaScript blob gets detected, they could change it such that it would no longer be detected. So it's not necessarily that they're sort of doing something that's inherently not able to detect it, but they're certainly able to change things so quickly that an AV can't really keep up with the large volume of the different permutations of this type of malware.
0: I see. So in terms of attribution, do you have any thoughts there?
1: It's not really something that that we can comment on at this time. Um, you know, I think from from a little a attribution, which is maybe a little bit more important when you talk about attribution, you can say, you know, he or she did it. Uh, or you can talk about this is sort of a grouping of activity that's part of an overarching campaign campaign. In terms of the grouping of activity that's part of an overarching campaign, this is adware that is, that's very prevalent. If you follow the research in the blog, you probably can connect the dots and, and find out more information about it. But it's, it's certainly something that's out there and can be tied to this, you know, this campaign of adware for this specific uh, delivery mechanism.
0: I see. So in terms of advice for people to protect themselves against this, what do you suggest?
1: For organizations that want to detect this type of threat, specifically to this particular sort of advanced persistent adware, I I think that there are some very specific things that you can do. But more importantly, I think that for an organization that wants to detect advanced threats, it's going to take a little bit of of introspection, right? You know, asking um, yourself as an organization, do you have the analytics that say, I want to look for all... W-script execution on all of my endpoints under my control? Uh, if the answer to that is yes, I, I have that idea, that's a hypothesis that I want to follow, then you know the, the next question is, do I actually have that data? How do I collect that data and how do I query that data? And then um, finally, it's do I have the people and the processes in place to really go through those, those haystacks? Because something like you know, give me every single time wscript.exe is executed, that's not necessarily going to be a haystack full of malicious things. The vast majority of that is going to be benign. So you really have to have a well-trained staff that understand when something meets the threshold for malicious behavior.
0: Our thanks to Jay Novak from Booz Allen's Dark Labs Advanced Threat Hunt team, their full report is called Advanced Persistent Adware: Analysis of Nation-State Level Tactics, and you can find it on their website. The CyberWire research Saturday is proudly produced in Maryland out of the startup studios of Data Tribe, where they're co-building the next generation of cybersecurity teams and technologies. Our amazing CyberWire team is Elliot Peltzman, Peru Prakash, Stefan Vaziri, Kelsey Bond,